when we talk about the festival of trumpets, most believers would immediately start thinking about the book of Revelation and the coming of Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, for it is written that he will be returning with a blowing of trumpets and there will be a trembling upon the earth. And so God in his wisdom has called us to celebrate this feast of trumpets every year, this annual reminder of what is to come. But not only that, I want to submit to you that God uses his feast days as a means of communicating to his people. Just like the feast of trumpets can be seen as the Messiah returning and there was this quaking, there will be this quaking on the earth and this 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 big event. I want to submit to you that God uses this feast every year to bring a trembling upon all of us to see what is he saying? And when we look at the world this year, it's especially significant and important because the world is trembling. The world is quaking in fear and confusion. And God has a message. 1 Peter 4:17 tells us that the judgment of God starts at the household of God. You see, I think many people who are believers would like to point the finger and, and look at, at the world and say, look how the world's being judged or whatever. But we fail to understand that the Bible says that judgment begins with his house. God first cleanses the people in his house. And so we need to really in this time be looking up and paying attention to the blow of the trumpet, because brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you that God's bride, even though she is so willing, willing to love him and willing to serve him, and even though she adores him, she's often distracted. Did you know that just because you love to talk about theology or love to do certain godly things, that doesn't automatically mean you're doing what God wants you to do. I think so often we think that God is satisfied as long as we do whatever we want, but as long as we can attach some godly label to it. I remember just recently, me and my wife, we watched a documentary with Bible professors on there talking about certain things. And and there was a few of them that did not believe in the Messiah. They were theological scholars, but they denied him for who he truly is. And again, I think it's pretty common to occur today and And not only today, even back in the first century, there were many who were scholars of the word of God, big theologians. But yet when he walked in their midst, they couldn't recognize him. So we can see that just because we like to talk about certain things and we see that as being preoccupied with the father's business, the question is, is is it what God told us to do? And and look, Theology is amazing and beautiful and biblical scholarship is amazing and beautiful and and all these things are good. But my what I am asking you today and trying to make a point of is, 
yes, there's many good godly things to focus, to talk about and, and put our focus on potentially. But, but is it what God has told you to do today where you are right now? The, the thing that you are busy with, is it what you have been called by God to be busy with? When a trumpet blows, everyone in the room will immediately look to the direction of the sound and incline their ears, incline their bodies, and everyone will look that way. Everyone will have their attention fixed on this sound. Try and walk into any place and blow a trumpet and you will have the same reaction. And I want to submit to you that today, that is what the Father desires for us to do at this feast is he is blowing and he wants us all to pay attention, stop what we're doing and think about what is he saying? What is he telling us to do? You see, I think one of the greatest enemies of the perfect will of God in our lives is our passions and our desires. And, and those can even be good and godly. You see, but if it's not what he wants, if it's not what he said, it doesn't really matter. That's why just about every day I when I pray with my wife, I'm asking the Lord, show us where do you want us to go? What do you want us to focus on in this week? Because, see, I recognize that we are like soldiers in a war. We are like warriors in a spiritual battle. And if you know anything about warfare, one of the biggest dangers for any um, group of soldiers is when communication falls flat. When there is a when if there is communication that's that goes out from the generals to the soldiers, right? And these soldiers follow that. But then somewhere along the line, the enemy is doing something else. And now we need to know about that. And the generals send a new message down to tell the soldiers that they need to change their strategy. But that message doesn't come through. Those soldiers are still following all directions and they may walk right into the trap of the enemy. And so in the same way, the sound of the shofar is actually a battle cry and it was used to give communication to Israel. We read about this in Numbers 10 verse 2. Make two silver trumpets of hammered work. You shall make them and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking camp. And so when you summon a congregation, a group of people, it is for usually to give communication to them, to give them instruction It's usually someone who's going to get up on a podium and he's going to speak to all the people and then they're going to dispatch with their instruction again. That's exactly what a big part of this feast is. So I would like you to go and ask yourself the question, why do I do what I do when I am trying to serve or worship God? Do I do it because I think it's the best thing that I could do? Do I do it because that's what everyone else is doing around me in my circles and, and I'm doing what they're doing, so I must be right? Do I do it because it's become easy, comfortable, convenient? 
Do I do it because my parents did it? And in fact, I'm doing it because my denomination has been doing it for a thousand plus years and therefore it must be true. Why do you do the things you do? Why do you think the way you think about what it should, what it's supposed to look like to be a disciple of Christ? What is it that informs you? And is it what he said in his word? You see, brothers and sisters, I think sometimes we're kind of like Israel when we were, you know, they were following the cloud by day in the Exodus. You know, I think it, it's such a beautiful picture, but I think that there was I wouldn't be surprised if there were people there who, you know, the cloud, they were following the cloud. They were, in, they were with the people in the wilderness and then, you know, they, the cloud stopped. So everyone is setting up camp and everyone is, you know, getting ready to stay the night. And this cloud stays another day and another day. And actually, this time the cloud stays there for a very long time. This cloud of God they're supposed to follow. And some people will what we do by nature as as people, when something gets very um, stagnant, we start getting more comfortable, right? We'll start maybe digging a well. We'll start, you know, putting a, a stronger foundation under uh, as a house and we'll start getting all kinds of things. Like if you've lived anywhere for a while um, and you start collecting things and you become it becomes harder and harder to move later, right? That's just how we are as people. And but now suddenly, five years later, this cloud moves again. But now I have all this stuff I've accumulated. I have all this this the work I've done to make myself comfortable here. And now I got to move. You know, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if some people got so discouraged that they just felt like, you know, I I'm just going to maybe stay here. Because everything is set up the way just the way I want it where I am right now. I think we can all you know, connect with that at least to some degree in our lives that we as people love that comfort of stability and we get into this autopilot lifestyle of doing the same kind of things over because it feels safe. But see, God is a disruptor of that. He often throughout the scripture comes and he throws a spanner in the works, like we would say today. He goes and while Israel has been uh, slaves within Egypt, you know, they've, they've grown attached even to their role as being slaves. They're so used, even though it's an oppressive thing there and they've grown so used to it that it has become their comfort. That's why when they leave, they later complain to Moses saying they want to just go back to the slavery because that was even better than all the changes that they need. They need to go through now. This whole change of having to trust God to look after them. I mean, back then they just had the Egyptians to look after them. Now they need to trust in God and they didn't like that. But see, God then showed them that that he is able to take care of them. And then he intervened even in a greater way in their lives, their their can I call it their autopilot routines and their ways of thinking when he made Moses on that mountain. 
You see, on Mount Sinai, God came with a trembling again, a, can I say, a blowing of trumpets, he came and descended. And as he met Moses and gave Moses the commandments, we see that there is this great intervention God has in the lives of Israel because he now comes and he says, Israel, you're not going to do things the way you're used to anymore. You're going to need to change the way you think. You're going to need to change the way you do. And this all has to start happening today. And that is what the commandments of God are. The law of God is him saying, yes, you have your ideas of what life is supposed to be and look like. And but let me show you what I prescribe if you want to have blessings in your life, if you want things to actually go well with you. Right. And that's what he does. So he gives them this and Israel starts learnings very slowly, all these things. And throughout the years, you know, throughout the centuries, decades, right? These we we see this nation is born. But we see that things still aren't perfect, even though God's people have now received what they would we would call the law of Moses today, the laws given through Moses to his people. His people didn't just miraculously become perfect overnight. They, even though they had the law written on stone, they still had hearts that were in opposition to it. And so, of course, we know the story of how Yeshua came and God came in the flesh to die for our sins, our transgressions, our breaking of that law on stone. And while that is beautiful, he also came as the prophet Jeremiah has prophesied would happen to write his law on our hearts to change it. Now, it's not just us versus this law of stone, but rather he's going to put that law on our hearts, change our hearts. Our heart is now for him and not in opposition to him. And just as importantly, he say Yeshua said when he ascended, it is good that I go because I'm sending my Holy Spirit to indwell you. And as the disciples hear him explaining this, you know, he's telling them this because they don't want him to leave. You know, they don't want him to ascend, go where we can't follow. Well, where are you going, Yeshua? Jesus, why are you leaving us? Right? That's what they're thinking, because they don't understand that just like what happened at Mount Sinai, right? that great intervention of God in the life of man is about to occur again. And they don't fully understand yet the great magnitude of what they get to be a part of. And that is just like what happened at Mount Sinai. Now there's something about to happen at Mount Zion. Mount Zion, we see this prophesied event where the sons will have visions, all men will dream dreams, and there will be great power that will come upon the earth. And in Acts chapter 2, it happens. The Holy Spirit is poured out in the in the room. We see that there is a great wind that enters. There's a great trim, trembling and the people are all astonished. And there's flames of fire that land on the heads of the people, just like there was that mountain of Mount Sinai burned. Now we have this this room filled with fire. And again, now God comes and he intervenes and he says, now I am bringing to fulfillment. I'm giving you all that you need 
everything you need to be able to actually fully walk like I wanted you to always walk. You know, first you didn't have any idea what to do. You had no idea what right and wrong is. You called wrong right and right wrong. So Israel, here I come and I'm giving you on written on stone what is right to do. But now later he comes again and he says when he pours out his spirit, he says, Israel, now I am not only showing you what is right to do. Now I am enabling you to do it fully. And so we see that God came and intervened with his truth and then he came to intervene to give us his spirit. And without we can have one or the other, we can try and but that won't work. We can't worship him in just spirit or just truth. We, if we worship him in just truth, we'll be just like Israel in the wilderness who, while we know what is right, we're unable to do it. But if we have this and if we maybe just only have the spirit, we may have, feel all spiritual and try and, and do spiritual things try and uh, pray for the sick to get healed and and do miracles in his name. Yet we'll hear depart. I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness, you who had no truth in you, you who had no lawfulness in your life. You there was you were not obedient to what I told you to do when I came to give you my commandments at Mount Sinai. But if we have both, we will be able to understand what to do and we will have the spirit to be and that enables us to do it. And we will be able to walk in great power as a testament to the world of the one who sent us. And so the objective of the enemy, since all this has occurred, has continuously been to take us away from his spirit or take us away from his truth. Some people would live like God's truth is not applicable to them. Other people would live like Acts 2 and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is yet to happen. And both are perhaps equally wrong. Perhaps we need to really as believers look at ourselves and ask, yes, we're doing a lot of godly things. Maybe yes, we're 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 preoccupied with God's work. Okay, that's wonderful. But are we worshiping him in just truth? Am I trying to do all these things for God only in with the half the revelation of Mount Sinai? Or perhaps am I only trying to worship God in the revelation of Mount Zion where he came to pour out his spirit? Is that all that I'm how I'm trying to worship God or am I do I truly understand what he gave at both these mountain moments with Israel? And, you know, with this whole spirit and truth thing, what is so interesting, oftentimes what I have found is that as humans and as people, we we are always attracted to one more than the other. And, you know, depending on your background, how you grew up and what denomination or whatever, you know, you may have come to the understanding of God's uh, importance of his commandments first. And you may have a great desire to walk in that. Or maybe you grew up on the other side of the spectrum and you grew up in a Pentecostal circle and you, you know, you always heard about the miracles. You always wanted to see that. You always wanted to see the works of the spirit and things like that. You know, we all have this inc natural inclination in our hearts to want to leap to one side or the other. B 
and sometimes the other side is then uncomfortable for us because it's it feels so different it feels so uh, outside of the circle of comfortability that bubble that we like to dwell in but what if i told you that god is calling worshipers of spirit and truth he's calling a people today he's blowing the trumpet and saying i want you to worship me in spirit and truth not one or the other anymore alone i want you to take all that i have given my bride and i want you to walk in all of it effectively for my kingdom and when you do that then you will be able to finally understand why i really picked you to have what you have many of us have asked the question god why have you revealed x y or z to me when there's so many others around me who, who haven't seen it. Brothers and sisters, the reason is because he doesn't want you to just keep it for yourself, but to share it with the world. Now, the only way that we can reach the world, the only way we can do what Yeshua told us to do, and that is to be a light to the world, not having our lamp under a basket, is if we let our light shine. The way that we let our light shine is by following the perfectly good example of our Messiah. And see, it is amazing because when we look at his life, he walked in perfect truth. He never sinned, never fell. And he walked in perfect obedience to the Father in terms of walking out the Holy Spirit too. He didn't just keep the law. He also laid his hands on the sick and saw them recover. He also turned left or turned right as the father told him because he was sensitive to his father's voice and he would cast out a demon on the way. He would cleanse a leper on the other way or he would simply have a talk with a Samaritan woman on the way and give her words of knowledge about her life he was never supposed to know. That shocked her and made her leap for joy in the father. He did not have one piece of it. He had both. And that he was that manifestation, that first perfect, incredible example for us to follow. You see, the example is not how to look upon Moses. And, and now let's just do what Moses did. Moses is an amazing example. But Moses came and he, because when he came, after he met God and he came before the people, he covered his face because he didn't want the people to look upon that. Because to look upon Messiah. The one to come after him would be such a would be a better focus of our attention. And that doesn't mean that what God gave Moses is unimportant or inapplicable. It's fully it fully is. But it simply means it was incomplete. Yeshua in Matthew 5 comes and says, I don't come to abolish what Moses God gave through Moses. I did not come to come against it. I don't come to any of that. I came to rather simply fulfill it, bring it to completion. So we need to now say, okay, he brought it to completion. He is the fullness, the perfect example. Now let's see, instead of looking at the people around me in my circle, because that's, I understand that's what we do naturally. Sometimes we look at our neighbor or even our good believers, maybe even someone like me who, you know, or whoever, and we say, oh, you know, we compare ourselves to other people. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't compare yourselves to me. You'll be, it'll be of disappointment. Rather compare yourself to the Messiah 
who came in the flesh. And one of the reasons he did is for you to be able to copy him. You know, and I just told you some of what he said. He told you to go out and heal the sick. I remember being in a, a study uh, not a, a couple of years ago when I was, you know, I was in this place myself where, you know, I I came from the truth side of things. Right. I I, I had the, under, the love for God's word and, his, and following his commandments. But if, I, if I'm going to be honest with you in terms of his Holy Spirit and and these things, like I just read in Matthew 10 of, of healing sick people and, and causing out demons like that's that's weird. That was weird to me. Or or I have to actually lay my hands on someone to to see them get better. Like I, I don't even know. I'm, I'm afraid of praying for people. Right. That's where I was. And and, and if I'm going to be even more honest with you, even though I had a great love for his word and commandments and, and theology, you know, I, I think that my love for, for discussing theology or winning debates was perhaps much greater than what the love of the Messiah clearly was. And that is to reach sinners, people who hated God. People who were in opposition to God. When we look at the Gospels, when we look at his life, it's almost like that was what he loved to do most because that's where he always was. Of course, we find him in synagogues um, talking to the religious, but he so often seemed to love speaking to those who were not speaking to those who were unreconcilable with God and the opinions of other men. And you see, if if he was going to only compare himself to the other great rabbis of his day, that he would have probably thought that it would have been best for him to stay in the synagogues alone and, you know, try and and grow in popularity and, and, and rise up the ranks, you know, kind of like Paul did. You know, I'm sure that Yeshua with his wisdom could have risen up the ranks uh, in the Sanhedrin well, but that's not where he went. That's not what he was here for, even though that could have been seen by men as a good godly thing to do. And, you know, he's going to be able to reach many people. He was more concerned for his first love. That is the lost. And in the book of Revelation, he talks to us about this again. And and he talks about a group of people, right? This one church, if you want to call it that, that, you know, he says, you have lost your first love. You know, I want to read it in Revelation 2, verse 4. He says, but I'll have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You know, it's interesting because when we look at the people that he is talking to here, he also earlier on in the chapter tells them, you know, I admire the fact that you hate evil and you love to do good. You know, you clearly know what is right and what is wrong. You know the truth. It's not hidden from you. You see it. And I admire that, but but I have something against you. You abandoned the love you had at first. What is the love you had at first? 
You know, when we think about any new believer, anyone who, who comes to God first, right, when they're brand new to the faith, they, I think we can all, we've all been there and, you know, we can connect with the idea that, well, when I came to God first, I, ha- I didn't have all my ducks in a row. I had a lot of issues, perhaps some sin issues I was dealing with, a lot of things. I had a lot of trash, right? But there was something that I, I, even though I didn't have all that down, I did have something else. I did have a great zeal, desire to probably tell everyone about him because he's impacted me so greatly. I want others to have him too. That was the love that we had at first. We had a love for the lost, a love to focus on the salvation, bringing salvation to others. A love for the simplicity of the gospel. Never mind the, the big theological concepts we didn't understand yet. We, we weren't smart with that stuff yet. We didn't understand anything except that Jesus died for me and he saved me. That's all we knew and we cried over it. But then we started getting really smart later. We started studying the Bible and glory to God, that's good. But sometimes we allow all these the other things, the knowledge to puff us up. We allow the knowledge to make us think that, you know, well, yeah, good news. But now it's old news to me. You know, the good news, the gospel becomes like old news. Oh, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Yeah. But let's talk about deeper things. And I'm all for talking about deeper things, too. Uh, there's the, the riches found in God's word in terms of revelation is endless. And not, me and other you will not have enough seconds in our life to get to even 1% of it. But And that's amazing to, to, to talk about it and, and grow. But my question is, is have you abandoned your first love? Has the, old, the good news become old news? Because if it has then you fall into this description of this Revelation church in chapter two of Revelation. And it's crazy because what the Messiah says is he says, repent, turn away from that and go forget, take a pause, stop what you're doing. That's what repent repent means. Stop what you're doing. Turn back to the simplicity of the gospel, to the love you had at first. Love that which I love. That's what the Messiah is saying. And if you don't, I will remove your lampstand from its place. I will go and I will turn off your light. What he is saying is similar to that which he talked about earlier in you know the book of Matthew, chapter five. He talked about the lampstand and he said, Don't take your lamp and put it under a basket. Right. But let it let it shine so you can be a light to the world. But now he's saying just like that man with the talents. Right. Remember, he says, you know, if you have talents, but you go. He talks about this one who goes to bury it in the ground because he was afraid. And then when the master came back to see that what he had done with the talents that he invested and what rather he saw, he buried it in the ground and he said, you slothful servant. And then he took everything away. And that's how it is. He's saying, use the light that you have been given. 
but if you do not re- and if you don't and you you fall away from your first love and you don't return you don't repent he says even that i will take i will take your light from you and i will give it to someone who will use it brothers and sisters when the father came to me as a person and he came to show me amazing truths about his word things that me, the even Perhaps some of the the other people just didn't see. And and I felt so blessed because he opened my eyes. Like I mentioned earlier, one of my first questions were, why me? And God said, stop asking that question. I gave it to you so you can go and give it to others. So you can be a light. It's a privilege. It's an honor. But see, if... You don't if you just take the knowledge for yourself and you just lock yourself in a room and have your Bible study every Shabbat, but you never ever give this into the hands of anyone else. He's going to remove that light lamp from you because he gave it to you, not so you can hide it in your room for no one else to see, but your people who believe just like you, people who you love. No, go to people who, who you who don't love you. Go to people who don't love God. Those are the people the Messiah went for. Brothers and sisters, let me, let me just make it simple. Let's just ask the question. Do you find it acceptable to serve a God of miracles? Having scriptures that are full of miracles from the beginning and even more and more and more and more as we go into what we call the New Testament. Having all that, yet never having that stuff happen in our lives. Do we find that acceptable? Do we find it acceptable to find comfort in that it has become acceptable? Because other men around us don't have it in their lives. Are we going to find it acceptable to worship and say we are disciples of Christ? Yet never having the things occur in our lives that constantly occurred in the life of him and his disciples. You see, these were the questions that I struggled with a lot many years ago. I was frustrated because when I opened one of the books like the book of Acts. Oh, I encourage you to read it. It's beautiful. But when I read it, I didn't want to because it was full of things that I didn't see. And many of the big theological minds that I may direct my questions to were telling me, oh, you know, that was just for them. That was just to confirm them, their discipleship or apostleship or they confirmed that he was the Messiah. And surely that was part of the reason. The only problem is, is that he also sent out 72 others in Luke 10 to do it who weren't his 12 disciples or apostles. The only problem is we have, you know, early church fathers who are writing to us about the magnitude of miracles, raisings of the dead occurring even in the early church that aren't. And these things aren't just happening through the 12 apostles. Never mind the countless miracles that many today are saying are happening in their lives. You know, I was... I wasn't sure, to be honest with you, you know, when I was um, a couple of years back, I was 
thinking about these things, reading the book of Acts, you know, and I was trying to downplay it, but there was something in my spirit that just felt wrong and off. And it was the simple fact of, you know, what my Messiah told me that I need to be his disciple. He, he told Peter, for example, Peter, follow me. And when you become a disciple of a rabbi in the first century, like Peter became of Yeshua, that in of itself meant that you will now completely imitate your master. You will walk with him, learn from him, and you will ultimately walk like he did. And if you don't walk like he did, you can't call yourself his disciple. That's as simple as it is. That's what a disciple was what the meaning of it was in the first century. And so if I want to call myself a disciple, I need to walk like he did. And as difficult as that may seem, my Bible calls it possible because we see it happened in the early church. So that bothered me. And I and I started asking God, I started praying, Lord, what is going on here? Lord, why am I not seeing this in my life? Lord, no one else around me sees this stuff. Uh, Lord, am I am is your word a lie? Are you a liar? Or is your word lying to me? Or what am I doing wrong? Like what is there is it has to be one or the other, but I don't think it's you. I think it's me. Lord, what is it about me that stands in your way? And I remember praying and and praying and praying for this for a long time. And then one day I got a dream. And in this dream, I was standing in the streets of Israel. I was in this marketplace and there was this little boy in front of me. And as this boy is with me, there's also this little girl with him. And in this dream, I'm talking with this boy and I'm I'm talking with this girl and and this boy lays his hand on the girl's shoulder because it was hurting. And in the dream, the shoulder got healed from this girl and she ran to her Jewish mother, bringing her Jewish mother along back. And I look at her Jewish mother, I smile and I say, this is Yeshua who did this. And they're just rejoicing. And I wake up. And as I wake up, I'm, I'm kind of disturbed because you need to understand where I'm at. I don't pray for people. I don't I have never seen a miracle like that in real life. I've never right. I'm not there in that place. And I'm afraid of people too. I'm afraid of talking to strangers. But it bothered me. It's this dream from the father. And if it is, what does it mean? And as I pondered it, I went and I prayed and fasted for a week. That next week, I had that dream on the on a Saturday, and then I prayed and fasted that next week. And the next Sunday, God came and changed my life forever. I was a student in Pretoria, South Africa, at the University of Pretoria. And as I was sitting in my um, place, my home, if you will, I was working on whatever things and suddenly this thought just comes out of nowhere. And this thought says, Petey, I want you to go to Hatfield Square. There's someone you need to meet. And now Hatfield Square is this place just around the corner. It's a place where a lot of students hang out. You know, it's like a whatever. And I just I'm just like getting this idea. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to go and do there? Am I, go am I going crazy? Like, why am I even thinking about this? Right? Because I've never 
I've never heard from God before. And that was all very foreign to me. But as I'm just trying to return to my work, and I'm trying to forget about that because it just sounds ridiculous. I this thought comes and says, PD, go to Hatfield Square. There's someone you need to meet. And I'm just like, what? No, it's PD, go to Hatfield Square. There's someone you need to meet. And PD, go to Hatfield Square. There's someone you need to meet. And this 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 thought doesn't leave me. In fact, it starts driving me mad. And I'm like, what is going on? And I, and I get so frustrated with myself that I end up getting in my car and I drive up to Hatfield Square. And I'm just kind of shaking my head on the way there. But I get there, I get out of my car. And the moment I get out of my car, a man walks up to me. And this man tells me, you know, about his story. He tells me about, you know, how the things he's been going through. You know, he's been going through a hard time. He seems to be on the street right now. And, and I'm just listening. Yeah, okay. And, and as he's telling me, I don't know why, but there's something about his shoulder. I just see his shoulder and and it's not like it's hanging weird. It's not like there's something wrong with it that I can see, but I see his shoulder and there's something bothering me. And I just say, you know what? I'm hungry. I I, I just think, you know what? I'm hungry. I'm hungry for the things that God has talked about in his word that he has shown me in the book of Acts. And you know what? I don't even care anymore. I was so hungry. I didn't care about what I looked like anymore. You know, it's kind of like when if you were to go, if I were to put you in a desert and you were to not have any food or water and you get to a well and there's water there and you're so thirsty, you know, but there's a group of people watching you. You're going to jump in that water and drink in whichever way. It doesn't matter what it looks like. You're not going to care what these people think about you because you're so thirsty. And you can get to a buffet. You're so hungry. You know, if you haven't eaten in months, you're going to come there and you are going to eat like nobody's business because you're hungry. You're not going to care what anyone thinks. And that's how I was. I was so hungry for his spirit that I didn't care anymore. And I asked this man, brother, is there, what's, was there anything wrong with your shoulder? And, and he kind of looks at me like strangely and he said, yeah, my, my shoulder hurt. It, it hurts. He, I can't lift it like just past here. Then it's an excruciating pain. And I said, brother, I'm going to pray for your shoulder. And Jesus is going to heal you right now. <laughs> and as I say that, I'm kind of like, like, what am I doing? Like, uh, and, and I'm, I'm afraid my, my heart is pumping like crazy. I, I am so scared because you need to understand that I'm, I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not an extrovert. I'm not, I'm afraid of people. I'm shy. All these things. But I was hungry. And as I as I asked him that, you know, he said, well, sure, you know, and and even though I kind of felt like I want to run away, I already said it and I had to go through with it. And I went and I placed my hand on his shoulder and I just said, Father, I thank you, Lord. Lord, I speak to his shoulder right now and I command it to be healed in the name of Yeshua. Amen. And I said, well, you know, now I have a choice. I could either run away like I probably really want to do right now, or I could go and ask him how his shoulder is. 
Which option is the one with more faith? I decided to ask him. I said, hey, brother, do you have pain? I want you to, to do what you did just a moment ago and see how, where, how it feels. And he goes like this. He's like, and he's like, what? And he, and he goes like this, and this, and he's like, what did you do? Like, how did you do that? And I, and I explained to him that it's, it's not me, but it's through the power of God, the Messiah who came. And he's like, wait, 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 wait right here. And he, he turns around and he runs away. And I'm just kind of like, what's going on? And, I, and I'm freaking out. Like, I'm, I can't believe like what just happened. I'm, but I'm also in unbelief, even at that point still. And, but then he brings my friend, you know, his friend. And I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, Maybe this guy just lied to me. Maybe he's just making it up. But he brings me his friend. And his friend comes walking up to me. He's dragging his leg. He can't walk properly. There's something wrong with his leg. And, and, I'm, and he says, do what you just did with me. Do it with him. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'll try. So and I just go and I pray. I say, Father, Lord, I thank you, God, for freedom, Lord. Lord, we speak to his uh, knee right now in the name of Yeshua, Lord, I thank you for freedom. We command it to be healed right now. Thank you for freedom. Amen. And I'm like, okay, just, just test it out again. And, and he's like, okay. And he, he, he just moves and he's like, and he's like freaking out and he's like walking up and down there. And he's like, what, how did you do this? And his other friend who brought him says, I told you so. I told you so. It happened with my shoulder and now it happened with you too. And they're so excited. And as they're going and, and they're so excited, we're, we're in a busy place. There's many people walking by and there's some people who are stopping and they're, they're looking and they're like, and then the moment I turn around, there's another guy standing here with a different thing. And he asked me to pray for his back and I pray for his back and his back is better. And then I turn around and there's another man here and he, they, he asked me to pray for his arm or, and there's another person asking me to pay, pray for his, pray for his tooth. Okay. And, and every time I pray and I turn around, there's someone else, someone else, someone else. And as I pray, they get healed, they get healed. They get healed. And I've never seen anything like that before. I've never been to a church event where this happened. I didn't grow up in that kind of church. I didn't. This was foreign to me. And as this happened, my, the tears are running down my eyes. And I don't understand it, but it's happening. And it's like I'm on autopilot. It's like I'm it's like I'm. I'm sitting in the back seat and I'm just watching the father do all of this. And by the end of the night, I've prayed about for over 25 people there on the street. And every single one of them got healed. There was a man there who had back problems. And he said he thinks he has a demon. And I'm like, okay. And I, I've never dealt with anything like that before. That sounds scary. But I don't know what to do except just pray for his back to get better. I just put my hand on his shoulder and I just say, Father, Lord, I thank you, God, for healing. We command his back pain to go in the name of Yeshua right now. Amen. And I, and I ask him and he, to, to just bend down and test it out again. And he bends down. And as he's bending down, a man out of nowhere comes. I don't know this man. And he comes and he grabs me. And he starts pulling on me, trying to pull me away from this man I've been praying for. And he says, stop doing that. Stop doing that. It's not good. Stop doing that. And I'm like, 
well and I, and I I don't know what to do but the Holy Spirit just bottles up in me and I look at this man pulling me and I say go in the name of Yeshua and as I tell him to leave, go he turns around and runs away only later did I realize that that man had a demon and he was trying to pull me away from doing what God was doing there. And this man who had a back problem was healed in that moment. He was able to bend down and do everything he couldn't do. And he, he had such incredible pain and it, is just, it just vanished. There were many other amazing things like that happened, brothers and sisters. I don't have all the time in the world here to tell you all about it. But what I want to tell you today is that the life of the disciples and our Messiah is accessible for us. When I got on my car on the way home and I and everything is hitting me because when you're in the moment, you don't even realize what's happening yet. But afterwards, as I was driving home and everything hit me and tears were running down my face and I'm thanking God and I don't know what to say, but the Holy Spirit comes into my car and says, Petey, this is not just for you. This for my bride and I desire for her to walk in it. What I'm telling you now, brothers and sisters, isn't some foreign thing supposed to be. Yeshua told it to his disciples. Go out and heal the sick. Go out, cast out demons and even more other, even greater things. Go and do those things. And today I am reminding you of what has been written in the scriptures, what we are supposed to be seeing if we're going to call ourselves disciples. And, you know, I'm not if I'm not, I am not, I'm not saying that I am better than anyone because I'm not, because I've been in that place where I was hungry, but I didn't see it. I didn't have anyone to teach me. I didn't have anyone to show me. I don't know what it's supposed to look like. All I had was my Bible and the God who, who was, who was cheering me on. Because see, the Father desires us to walk in this. He's cheering us on. He's saying, I have given you all you need. Everything you need. My truth. The beauty of it. The, the enablement to walk in it. My spirit. And the power that Moses walked in before Pharaoh. You have in you. It's not here or there. It's inside of you right now. And you need to let the kingdom of God manifest around you wherever you go. Because if you don't do it, who will? If we won't go, who will? If we are not, if we've not been sent, then what are we doing? He has he not sent us out. So brothers and sisters, if he if you feel like I've heard about what the word said. Yes, I've I've I, I know about it, but I don't know how to see it. Well, welcome, because I also felt exactly that. And but I want to tell you that what you need, all you need is a hunger. You see, I refused to continue to live my life the way I did as someone who, yes, I knew the truth. Yes, I could win every debate. Yes, I was all that. But yes, I had no love. But yes, I had none of these miracles following my life, even though the Bible says these signs will follow those who believe. Will follow. Not may. Will follow those who believe. Are we going to believe the scriptures? Or are we going to continue making up excuses of why they're not relevant to us? 
Because that's what I understand. That's what our natural inclination is. But are you going to continue looking at other people or trying to make excuses with this or that theology? Or are you, when are you going to go and just say, look, I, I, I don't care about all the arguments. I just want what my Messiah was. I want him. I want to walk like he did. I want to see what his disciples saw in their lives and all their disciples and disciples and disciples. Because make no mistake, it didn't stop with them. It continued and it's continuing today in the lives of those who are hungry and thirsty. And God is pouring out his spirit today in a great measure, a way where he is bringing us back to the first century. He's restoring 2000 years of things that have been lost. Whether it's either the revival of the truth that he has been bringing about in just the last few years or the revival of the Holy Spirit that he's also bringing about. Brothers and sisters, right now, it seems almost as if those are two separate things that God is doing on two separate groups of people all around the world. And these people's don't seem to be getting each other. We have people in the spirit side waking up to the, some of the stuff I just told you in this testimony. And there's people on the truth side waking up to the beauty of his commandments, his Sabbath, his feast days, beautiful things. But it seems almost as of those uh, Satan is OK with those things on their own. But what he is so afraid of is when they were to come together, because now we're going to have a people who aren't going to be this revelation to church who, yes, they know what's right wrong but they have lost their first love and they're also not going to be these people who yes you you know what your first love maybe is but you've never grown past that into obedience either what god is calling us today is for us to be those who keep his commandments hold on to the testimony of christ and walk like he did in truth and in spirit because don't come and point a finger at those who 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 don't have truth, but who do work miracles if you don't do that yourself, because it's supposed to be normal. The Bible teaches it's supposed to be normal. And when we walk in spirit and truth like our Messiah did now, we will be able to love in greater measures. Because see, brothers and sisters, here's, can I tell you a secret? It's not really a secret, but I think something that we don't realize a great part of the reasoning of why the disciples developed the love they did for the lost was because they actually went out of their way to love the lost through the empowerment of the spirit. Because, see, let me tell you, even though I may feel some animosity against a certain person, right, even if that was the case, if the spirit led me to pray for them, to get healed somewhere in their back or whatever. And I was obedient to the spirit, regardless of how I felt. And I went to pray for their back to get healed. And let me tell you, the moment I lay my open my mouth to pray over them and lay my hands on them, that animosity, that lack of love in my heart is gone out the door. Bye bye. Because love is an action. And, it, and what I discovered, what was the greatest thing for me is that even though you may think that in that night at Hatfield Square, many people's lives may have been uh, impacted in some way. I want to tell you that the, the greatest impact was in my life. Me, the one doing it. Because in the process of God's love touching someone, it had to go through me first. 
I was the channel that God allowed his spirit to flow through by his mercy and grace, not because of anything I did, not because I was some I had some measure of holiness of my own. No, but because of what the Messiah did and now through his spirit did through me in that moment and he wants to do through all of us. Now I was changed even more because I was the vessel and because I had the front row seat, the front row seat to seeing God's love touch each and every single person. And let me tell you that if you have a front row seat like that, you're going to struggle to foster hatred. You're going to struggle to have a lack of love because you're it's like imagine if you were able to be in Yeshua's perspective as he was healing the the man who was blind. Like imagine you were the one who who laid the hands on. Imagine you could see it all from his vantage point. I promise you that if I could give you that, you would love because that is what develops greater love in us. It's by when we go and be do love, when we are love, like Messiah was love. But we can't become love by just reading a Bible. It's not just about studying it. It's about becoming it. You can't just study and require knowledge. Knowledge puffs up and it leads to pride. But it's when we apply knowledge that we can be humble because then we can see the love. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to simply leave you with this today is. I believe the father has given us a lampstand. I believe the father has given us great a great gift, an honor, a privilege beyond measure that I don't know about you, but I don't want to let this pass me by. I don't want to. I want to understand what he has given me. And if you have any understanding of what he has given you just by the fact that you're watching this video with me talking to you today, if you want to just understand that it, it means that, listen, God is about if his people will listen to the trumpet call, If his people will heed his voice, if my people will do so, then we will see revival in this world in an an immense way that I can't put into words for you. We will. You think that the the growth of the fathers, uh, you know, revival of truth, if I can call it that, where people are returning to his commandments, you think that's amazing. It's nothing compared to what he wants to do. And we are actually not in the place we're supposed to be because we are we uh, some of us are not seeing the importance of walking in the Holy Spirit and his spiritual gifts. And until we see that and until we start walking in that power and demonstration of the spirit, we will not be able to be the light on the lampstand we're supposed to be. But instead, our. Our lights will be off under a basket, hidden away for no one to see. And therefore, we will just foster a pride at the end because and I'm saying this because that's where I was. But how good our God for him to save me and save you and save all of us through salvation. But not only that, for him to come and tell us, "Okay, I want you to focus on this. The last thing that Yeshua said before he left was the Great Commission. Go out into the world. Tell them about me. Do 
miracles among them so they can see who I am. I am the God of the miracles, like I did in Egypt, like I did in Israel in the first century. I am the raiser of the dead, the healer of hearts, and the one who opens the blind eyes. If we can't show them that, how are we going to show them the Father? Because our Father is not just a worldly God like the idols are. He is the, the, the one of the biggest things that sets him apart is that he does the impossible. The things that the world that cannot fit into the box of this world is that those are the things that make him who he is. And if we take that away from him because we quench his Holy Spirit wherever, however, when, then we aren't obedient to that great commission that our Messiah came to give us. And if that's the last thing he said, who's to say that won't be the first thing he comes to ask us about when we see him again? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have gone ahead and proclaimed me to those whom I love. You have gone and shown me to the tax collectors. You have gone in the power of the Spirit. The, what I died for the Spirit to be poured out and you did not quench him. Well done, good and faithful servant. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Father, for your mercy, your grace. Lord, I thank you for the power that you have left for us. Lord, you have not left us, but left for us. Holy Spirit and Father, I pray, Lord, that Holy Spirit would come and become a, a, a bigger part of our lives. Lord, we welcome you. We ask for your spirit to dwell in us, among us and in ways that our flesh may not like, but we welcome it regardless, even though if it's outside of our comfort zone, we welcome you. And we ask that you would would push us. Lord, Father, I pray for a hunger in the hearts of everyone who is listening. I pray, Lord, that you would convict them. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would push them, Lord. Father, I pray you would show all of us, Father, what is the message in this trumpet season that you want us to hear? What is the call? What is the direction you're calling your body to? Father, help us to be the light that you were. Help us, above all, to love like you did and to walk like you did when you were here so that we can be disciples and so that we can make disciples. In the name of Yeshua. Amen.